And let's give a warm welcome to the host of The H Spot, David Hirschkopf. Welcome, everyone. I am very excited to welcome a friend of mine for a long time in the industry and one of the nicest guys in specialty food and smart guy, really successful, has an amazing line of sauces and lots of other items too, and nationally distributed. Lots of people would know it in your local store. It's Patrick Ford from Bone Sucking Sauce out in Carolina. How are you doing today? I'm good. I was actually waiting for who you were introducing. That sounded like somebody else. I was, I was thinking who else is on this podcast with this. Thank you, man. I'm going to blush. So you look kind of thirsty. And, you know, I sometimes yes. call you like a hydration specialist. Right. Um, why would I call you that? Like, like, is there a story behind that? There's a really good story behind that. I remember a couple of years ago being at a food show with my buddy Dave from Dave's Insanity, Dave's Gourmet. We're in Tokyo. And I invited Dave out to dinner. And so usually when you invite someone out to dinner, you usually pay. But on this particular time, I had left my wallet in the hotel room. And we were in Tokyo. And Tokyo traffic is probably the worst I've ever seen in all my years of travel. And so we get to the restaurant and I broke it to Dave that he is in fact buying dinner unless we want to do dishes uh, in Tokyo. So every time we would order any kind of water, tap water, they would bring Voss, the nicest bottle of Voss they had in the back. And they kept us so well hydrated that Dave is probably still paying for that dinner today. Um, yeah. But no matter what we said, they would nod their head and bring a bottle of Voss. <laughs> yeah, that person was called Ninja. And the menu yes. prices were, were all in Japanese. And so <laughs> that went down as like the one of the two or three most expensive meals ever, it turns out. <laughs> a, but, yeah, it was a good thing I didn't have my wallet. That was first. <laughs> <laughs> but the laughs that we've gotten out of that dinner have been priceless. Yes. One of the funniest things of that, too, is obviously you and I do not read Japanese. And or we would have seen the prices and found somewhere else to eat. But every time we'd order, my dish would come out and it would be amazing. And yours would come out and it would be like a little pea or like a little bean. <laughs> I was just thirsty. I wasn't that hungry. <laughs> well, the dessert was one of the funniest because yours came out. And again, we were ordering in Japanese, pointing at things, trying to get the dinner going. And you ordered and your dessert came out and it was like a little bitty sorbet or something. And mine was an edible bonsai tree. <laughs> it was yeah, like was, so different. Yeah. That was they yeah, had some we amazing did. dishes there though. I mean, you, you had did. some incredible food. Um, I did. I'm glad you got to see that. I would really been bummed if you hadn't watched me drink all that water, <laughs> and eat all that good food. It's all about you. Okay. It's just, I you. see that it felt that way. I really appreciate that. Over the years, I'm sure you've had the same experience as me because we've talked about it. Like people come up to you or they write you or call you and they're like, oh, I have this recipe from my grandma or my dad or whoever for barbecue sauce or salsa or whatever salad dressing. And it's the best ever. And then what should I do with it? Should I market it? I mean, do you get that a lot in Yours is sort of that too. So like, do you think this could be a hit or like what makes you or me different versus these people coming up? I think part of it is if I knew then what I know now, it would have been a very scary road. All the things we'd have to circumvent and go through and, and deal with over the years. It was a lot different than when we were coming out with our products or the products that we are part of. You know, now I see people and I try and warn them to go small, start very small. 
you know, move at the speed of cash, don't borrow money. But yeah, when you see those products, you don't know which ones are going to be the next big one. But we do get a lot of people calling or writing or emailing and asking us. They'll even find it at a store we sell to and call us and say they have the same product and they want to sell to that store. How do they do it? So yeah, it is a common thing over and over and over. Is it more, I mean, like, you know, after you've talked to them or maybe even taste their items some days and, and they leave behind closed doors, I mean, do you end up thinking, is it more about the item or is it more about the person? Like which one more determines if you think this person might actually make it? Like last night, I had the guy who lives behind me drop off his jalapeno sauce. It's like a green chili sauce and it's amazing. And it was in a little bitty jar and I thought, this should be something that somebody needs to sell. But so much goes from that jar, as you know, to the packaging and then the demos, the tastings, that first store. And then from there, I really believe it's the person that has the drive that has to just keep at it. When I was in college, my professors would come to my demos and buy bottles of salt because I was doing that at night during then. And you have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, it's going to be a really long road. But if you enjoy it and you feel like everybody should have your product, and if they don't, there's something wrong with them because it's so great. <laughs> that's what it takes to, you know, I believe, as well as a good product. But you have to have that drive 24 hours a day just to really push it. I mean, that's one of the things about the industry is like, you know, if you walk around a trade show, you're one of the people who actually seem like he's having a lot of fun. Like he should get to work, you know, <laughs> stop goofing off. Uh, right. So, I mean, for you, like, is that the difference maker? Is that you, you really do have fun? And so like pushing and driving and talking about bone sucking and all that was just like, that's what you like to do. Yeah. When I would leave a place, I would be surprised and thought, wow, they're really making a mistake by not buying it. Not the other way around. I thought, man, they're, they're really messing up. <laughs> I, would, I tried to help them, but they just didn't get it. <laughs> Maybe right. I need to help the next person better. But yeah, at the shows, it's a blast. It's so much energy. It's so fun. You get to talk to so many people. And if you enjoy your product and what you do, it really isn't work. So have you like gotten statistics on that? How like people's lives went downhill and they're like homeless and destitute since they didn't buy your sauce? <laughs> right. I'm sure it's probably too much to calculate. I don't know how, you know, how we'd even come up with a final number. I'm sure and it's ongoing because there's still some people, believe it or not, that don't buy it. Because people talk about the secret sauce, like, you know, to success, maybe it's yours. Like, Oh, yeah. You know what? That's true. And there's more people that have it. I've never seen anyone take like any kind of antidepressant at the same time as using our product. So there may be something to it. That's I think right. you're on to something. You need a medical study to go on there. <laughs> yeah. so. That's next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You and I have talked about this also. You know, I don't think people understand the grocery world so much and, and how it works. You know, you just figure you've got, you know, your local store and the food gets there somehow. But, you know, it largely, if you're, you know, a big company, it goes through the store's warehouse and you pay a bunch of money to get in there. And then, you know, you get on the shelf and you do a bunch of promotions and TV advertising. But, you know, for smaller companies and smaller could be what, like, you know, 30, 40 million, 50 million or under, you go through specialty distributors, you know, and they buy your product and they sell it to the stores. But for every $10,000 you sell, you probably get a check for like seven or $8,000. So a bunch of money just sort of disappears. And there's all sorts of just charges and late fees and this and that and spoils. And it's sort of a rough game to sort of figure out how to navigate that. And so I know like 
you're a person who hasn't always tolerated that as well as others. How do you deal with that? Like how have you sort of tried to navigate that and sell as much as possible, obviously, but we're sort of working with all the steps in between and, and all the odd requirements. We're a family business. You know, it's my parents, my brother and I, I grew up in this and this being our company and our company, this is one division of it. Ford's Gourmet Foods that sells the bone sucking sauce. The other division is Ford's Produce Company. So we're a produce company and, you know, we always believe you move at the speed of cash and produce. We have that backing and belief system that you buy something, you pay for something. And it also gave us, in the beginning, we were net seven. And that really threw everybody off. But in the produce world, that seemed like, how would you even need seven days to pay for produce? You should pay for it when you get it. And then we went to a world of specialty where they wanted 60 days. And some people wanted to discount if they paid within 60 days. And to us, being from the produce side, you know, we have a saying, the further you get away from cash, the worse your deal gets. Because when we used, my great-grandfather and grandfather used to buy fields of produce, they would pay for the field in cash in Florida or wherever at the time they bought it. And so if you didn't, if you needed credit, your price would be really high and you wouldn't get the first call if they had a field. And so it allowed us to get the best product because we paid the fastest. So when we went into the specialty world, it was like when we told the first couple of people, it was like a dog that heard a weird noise. <laughs> they kind of, popped their head and kind of looked at us and thought we were nuts. So we didn't grow as fast as some people may grow, but we had the stability of knowing that we could stick to our guns and we could stand our ground and still pay our bills. And I think a lot of people rush into this or into a product and don't have the confidence really to stand and be okay with not getting that one account or that distributor because they just go ahead and sign it or they made money somewhere else. And then they said, I've always wanted to sell grandma's pasta sauce or grandma's or granddad this. And then they put their life savings into it. And you watch these big distributors clean them out. I always admired how like you, you set up and you do it. You stick to your guns and you have this clarity about how you do things. And you have this confidence where it's like, I don't need that account. There's other accounts. It's yeah. amazing because I don't think that most people operate like that in this industry. But it has allowed us to make sure that we can make payroll every week. We don't have any variables coming back. You know, I, I told a store a long time ago, if one of my guys drives a forklift off the dock, I don't call the forklift manufacturer and tell him he needs to buy me another forklift. We bear the brunt of the cost of that. But maybe you should. Yeah, that's a good idea. That is good. It's probably, that's, that's probably for life. They should probably cover that. Or if the forklift ever breaks, I could send it back and discontinue it. <laughs> we discounted it. That's right. Or, or you change the oil on it and you're like, you charge the manufacturer like, hey, we changed the oil. There's an oil change charge. Right. Right. Yeah. We're going to get that back. But if you can work with retailers and distributors that fit your business model and your comfortability and you can financially afford it, then yes, go for it. But you right. have to understand the whole picture. And if you don't understand the whole picture, we have a saying here that we're not going to hurry into disaster. We're going to make sure that we know what we're getting into. And so important in all parts of business, especially this one. Well, speaking of that, because you've been at this about the same time as me, like I'm 93. What year did you get in this? 92. And 92. it was my uncle had been making the barbecue sauce for family cookouts. And then my dad and my mom said, hey, let's take that to market. And that was the same time I was going off to college and mom came up with the name Bone Second Sauce. 
and I go to college and then dad says in 90, I went in 91 and in 92, I start coming up to Raleigh from Charleston, South Carolina and picking up product and taking it back to school. And dad said, I'll give you $2 and 50 cents for every store you get. And I needed beer money. So I was like, this is working out <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I'm just going to have to get a lot of stores. <laughs> at that rate. Um, and that's kind of what I went after. That was my model was who's got the most stores and you know, who can sell the most product. And so in my apartment, it was just stacked through the ceiling on the walls and everything else. That's um, funny. That's really living the sauce. Yeah. In more recent years, private equity, a lot of money's flowed into our industry. So you get all these companies that are, I think they have a different model, slightly different model. They have a lot more money to spend. So they're more likely to say yes to promotions and they're not as profit focused. So like you're saying, you want to make sure you make money and they're not so much. But along with that, we've seen, you know, a lot of the natural foods, a lot of plant-based foods, a lot of things like that. Now, you, you guys are a barbecue sauce and you're sort of like, you know, more traditional model. So how do you feel about like all the plant-based and non-GMO and, and, and the different trends that have sort of taken over a big chunk of the industry? It is interesting. We were fortunate that when the product was first made, it was all the buzzwords that have kind of come along. It was already that. It was gluten-free. It was non-GMO. But we didn't have to chase trends or you know, or fads. We can't make a small run to chase a fad like that. Whereas mm-hmm. if it wasn't our money, it would be very easy to try 100 different things and see what sticks. But as you know, in the industry, when you're paying for things, you get real serious about which items you're coming out with and which ones are not sticking around. Yes, they focused. Yes, very laser focused. And you have to feel it and you have to see it and you have to direct it because, you know, we started with one item and now we have a lot of items. I, I would have to count. And each one of those has to earn its spot on the shelf mm-hmm. or we can't afford to keep it. With what you're saying, like private equity and those guys, they can just try everything, try a hundred different things and two work. Great. Get rid of the rest. And if you make a mistake, you don't have to tell your kid, well, you're not going to college after all. (laughs) I need you in the warehouse today. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And honey, that new car we were getting, this car is looking great. I don't know why we need a new car. We didn't car share. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I have a shelf over. Bicycles looking good. (laughs) Yeah. I'll help you pump the tires up. We'll get it ready to roll. (laughs) Above my desk, I have a shelf, and it's a lot of those items on the shelf I keep up there that were definitely going to make it and they were going to be huge items and i put a lot into them time-wise and everything else and they did not but it's just a reminder of you know the sure bets a lot of times are not (laughs) yeah but do you survey people or do you just go with your gut or how do you figure out which ones to launch we do both gut and we survey and a lot of times it'll be a recipe that we're using and we're like we need to share that with other people that's a really good recipe. We need to be sharing that. So we're more driven with what we have than what people tell us. Like if you do this product or that product or whatever, we'll be working on something and we're like, oh my God, that's really good. We need to be using that. And it's almost accidentally stumble upon it. Or it's like the steak rub was my dad was using that at home for all of us to eat whenever we would come over and it would be a big thing. And, and we're like, we need to be selling that. It's so good. We need to share it. So it, it comes from all different types like that. I have the problem 
sometimes you don't have an idea or you can't think of an idea of what to do, but oftentimes it's the opposite of there's too many ideas and you're just not yeah. sure which one to do. That's and true. So like, it's like the ADD, you know, like the butterfly, like, Ooh, look at the butterfly. No, look at that butterfly. You know, yeah, like, squirrel. <laughs> go run for <laughs> We all make fun of it, but it's very true. Yeah, it is. And then the sure ones are a lot of times, as you know, you know, you could really go all in and with it being your money, it makes you really not tether, but kind of measure that approach sometimes before you buy 10,000 of this or 20,000 of that. Yeah. Did you go through a period? Because I know I went through a period where I almost became more focused on winning awards than I did on selling product, you know, because it's like, oh, this is the top, you know, whatever in the industry award. And it's like, but wait a minute, you know, a year later, you're like, that thing didn't sell. Yeah, it saved polar bears, but it didn't sell anything. <laughs> we actually have never won a Sophie Award at the Specialty Food Show. Wow, but you sold a lot of sauce. <laughs> <laughs> but we have never won an award. And my mom calls us the Susan Lucci of the uh, Specialty <laughs> Food. <laughs> and we've never actually won one. But and we've won that. other awards and different contests and sales awards, but never a Sophie Award, which one day hopefully we'll win one of those. And for those of you that are younger, Susan Lucci was a soap opera star actress who was a, amazing for what she did, but did not seem to win awards. Although I think at the end of her career, she she did win something. Okay, so award. there's hope. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's great. Okay, we got something to look forward to. Thank you. I don't know if you're telling me the truth on that or you just want me to feel better. So I appreciate it. It, it feels very real in my mind, at least. Okay, uh, thanks. Then mine as well. There you go. So uh, you mentioned family business. So your dad handles the produce company, I think, and your mom and you, and I think your brother involved in it. Yeah, my brother and my dad are in the produce side, and then mom and I are in this side. And then your uncle invented the recipe, the original recipe for the sauce. Uh-huh. So, he did. So what do you think? Like, what are the, the main differences, like the three main differences of working with family versus if you weren't working with family? The biggest thing is that I feel like we look out for each other. You know, if I was at another company, I wouldn't feel that. And we're very clear. Mom and dad had a thing when I was coming up to be unclear is to be unkind. So everything was very clear coming into this. There was no gray area for my brother and I. At 18, if I wanted to come into the business, this is what it looked like. We'd love to have you. But if you don't, that's great. We wish you the best. And also, I think you're willing to put in a lot of hours if it's your family. You know, that you don't feel like I need to be paid back for this. Or I need somebody to tell me that was great. Or you just kind of do it. I think with family. So I think those are three big things for me. Dad always says that if you work for someone else, it only takes five minutes for them to meet before you walk in the door to decide you're not needed anymore, which is very true. So you feel a higher level of job security and a higher level of commitment, but you have a nice family. Would you think like some families like that maybe aren't as cohesive or or have different underpinnings? Like they go into family business and it's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) oh no. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing with being so clear with my dad and my mom, given my brother Vaughn and I an idea exactly what it would look like if we were to come into this. And that takes the drama out of it. It's very clear. If you want to, this is it. If not, we love you. And it's always been very uh, structured. And all of us have our own areas, which gives us room to spread out. Mom and I are in a whole different office than my brother and my dad on the end of a loading dock, probably 200 yards that way, you know, down the dock. So everybody has their own thing they work on. So we don't get on top of each other and each other's lanes. 
which is really important as well. So you don't get in a contest like whose desk is slightly longer and like who's got a nicer <laughs> desk chair. <laughs> no, but I know mine's the messiest. I can definitely tell you that. My whole area is the messiest. That's, That's nice. Just like you move some papers around. You're like, oh, I forgot I had a donut. <laughs> right. It's only stuck to these two invoices. I'll just, yeah, I'll oh. just peel it off. That's right. I guess I'm going to eat that because, you know, I need that paper. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I can lick that off the back. Perfect. <laughs> What do you think, like, you know, the regular Joe, if they think about like the specialty food world or the world of manufacturing foods and selling them out to the public, what do you think people probably don't understand? One or two things they really like get wrong about our industry. I think one thing is how we're normal people trying the best we can to make consistently and clean items for consumption. You know, we're, we're not some big corporate conglomerate that doesn't care. We actually really care what's in each bottle. And each and every bottle really matters. And it can be because it's one person's dinner. It matters so much because you want to make sure you take a lot of pride in that. So I think that's something that I don't think people understand. Also, all the work that goes into stuff before it actually gets on the shelf. When they see a product on a grocery store shelf, it didn't just appear there the day before. It was years of someone's dreams. It was the label talking to the graphics person or the artist or whatever. And then the dream and then all the nutritional panel sourcing the ingredients because what you buy from the grocery store isn't the same ingredients you could use like in a bigger kettle situation. And then they got to make the contacts. They got to open the channels up. I don't think that most people understand what all goes into that. I didn't when we got into it. Right. That's been one of the biggest surprises for us over the years is that you make something that tastes great. I mean, this is a winner. But mm-hmm. by the time you figure out how to manufacture it and put it in a jar and sit on a shelf for a year or two, hopefully it doesn't sit that long, but, but it has to be able right. to. Yeah, sure. It, it is not the same item 99% of the time. And, no. and most of them are no longer that great. No. And if you walk into a restaurant or a bar and you hear a band, you think that's the best band ever heard. Why aren't they bigger than that? It's the same kind of feeling to me. Like when you taste something, you're like, wow, this would be great. Everybody should love this. But it would like a like same with the band. Only a few bands actually make it out to do what they do, even though they're incredible. So it has to be the exact mix of marketing and packaging. Price is very important. It has to be in front of the person that actually wants to buy it and has the money to buy it. All those things have to line up. You're saying most bands start shelf stable because they don't have the right pH and acidity. Is that what you're saying? And bands, yes. Yeah. I think there's a lot of problems with bands. <laughs> Maybe there's a lot of problems with them. Add a little citric acid to the band, they'd be much better. <laughs> I think a lot of them have already tried that. <laughs> tried all kinds of things like that. I think that's a different acid probably they're using. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, that explains a lot then. But you got the right process. Right. So here's the controversial question, okay? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. So when I think of your sauce, yes, I think of it as more like, tomato-based, you know, dark Kansas City-style sauce, like to my ignorant brain. But you guys are Carolina-style sauce. So like what makes yours a Carolina-style sauce? And because I think of mustard, or I think of Carolina, like what's the difference between the main styles? Well, in North Carolina, we have a divide. We have an Eastern and a Western. And Eastern North Carolina barbecue sauce is vinegar-based. And that's going to be your apple cider vinegar, your red pepper flakes, salt and pepper, that type. And Western North Carolina is the tomato-based, which we have. So 
We call it Lexington, North Carolina style or Western North Carolina style. And I'm pretty sure Kansas tried to knock us off um, unsuccessfully. So we in this area call that a Western Carolina style sauce. And it is very similar to the ones in Kansas City. Below us is the mustard sauce in South Carolina. I went down to school in Charleston and I ordered a barbecue sandwich when I first got down there and it came out yellow. And I sent it back to the kitchen and said, I ordered a barbecue sandwich. And the cook came out and said, you're from around here, are you, boy? I was like, that's not barbecue. I'm used to either vinegar-based or red, but definitely not mustard. But anyway, now we do have a mustard-style sauce for people that use mustard barbecue. And when but, you say uh, below you, you meant north and south. You didn't mean like below you, like like not as good. <laughs> no, I definitely didn't because our mustard is one of my favorite products. After going to school down there, I actually fell in love with mustard style sauces, but it took me a little while. Okay, so vinegar on the east, tomato on the west, mustard in the south. Yes. And then I think they're doing mayonnaise in Alabama, which is a whole different story. The white sauce. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've only had that once, but it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It is. So, enough business. Let's talk about grilling. What are the three biggest mistakes you think home grillers make? Not doing it would be the first one because it's fun and it's easy year round. I see a lot of people that don't grill year round. I think that's a mistake. I think they definitely should because you still have to clean up the kitchen in the wintertime. So it's much easier not to, not trying different things, being intimidated. I know these are not actually grilling mistakes, but you know things that they should be doing around the grill. I think trying new things on the grill. I think people are intimidated sometimes by a grill, and I don't think they should be. Well, I think a lot of people don't grill unless they have company over. Yeah. And so then they're afraid to like make a mistake. So they should try some grilling without company so they can screw up a lot and and figure out what doesn't work. And I see people a lot of times will rush certain things when they shouldn't rush things. You got to let it take its time. Are we still talking about grilling here? (laughs) Yes, that's right. Oh, and other parts. But you'll have like a meat has what's called a stall. And it could be the same two weights of meat could take hours difference to cook on a long cook, like a pork butt or a brisket. And you'll just because the company shows up at six doesn't mean the meat is ready to eat. Because, you know, it could be on a whole different path or timeline than you are so you got to start way early and let the meat sit in a cooler in a blanket or something like that and rest and then you won't stress all day long and you'll enjoy it that that's that, a big thing for people was that like meat from an uncooperative animal that like you know yes it's in protest <laughs> that's right if i can't get you while i'm alive i'm gonna catch you afterwards that's right i'm gonna play like i never want the game to end that's right all the way to the very end you know one thing i don't know if it's unusual about you guys or not but like i, I know north carolina is particularly supportive of its companies and you've done a ton of export and, and worked a lot with the government programs there so you know thinking about government overall i mean for you has you know i know there's regulations and and has government overall been much more helpful and supportive to you? Or do you think overall it's gotten in the way more? I think it's been helpful for us. They've been a great resource, too, for us to talk to. They've opened us up to some different things that we wouldn't have seen or done. I think it's been really helpful, like SESTA and North Carolina Ag Department. They're trying to help us, and they listen, too. If we think something, they'll take it and go run with it, which is really nice, because that's not typically what people think of government-type stuff like that. 
But we are fortunate in being in the Suster region and also the North Carolina Ag Department wanting to export and really helping us to get to do some things that we wouldn't have normally been able to afford to do or do at all. Suster is part of the agriculture department that has export funds available to companies in your region, right? Yes. And most importantly, they are knowledgeable. So if you have a question, should I be doing this or should I sell to this country or is this okay? Or is this a legitimate customer? They can run it by an office in that country and see if that person's even real and what their reputation is there. So that has been really nice for us also. So if you could do one thing over, get like a mulligan, a business mulligan, uh, what would you do over all of it. I love it. <laughs> I would start right from the very beginning, man. I mean, absolutely. It was fun. It was neat when you go into a place and they never heard of it. And you had to explain it for the first time. I would do it all. I really would. That may sound crazy and stupid, but it's just been a blast. Even all the mistakes? Yeah. I'd probably try not to do this. Final questions, like final jeopardy. Okay. All for right. Double or nothing. Uh, yes. <laughs> so one dollar. That's right. For one dollar. Which I will okay. never pay you. Uh, a bottle of Voss. I will take a <laughs> bottle of Voss. I will bet it all. Or a bottle of Voss, which I will refill with tap water. That you may not know the difference. No, oh, stuff. definitely won't. <laughs> um, so, like, what do you do? Like, how do you spend your average work day? Like, what do specialty sauce people do with their days? Mondays, I come in at 4 a.m. And yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's real because we're produce. <laughs> yeah. When I get here, this place is like five o'clock traffic. So we're on a different schedule than most here. Let's see. I come in. First, I sift through emails from the night before, print purchase orders off, print off anything that we need to be working on as far as if we're, I don't know, just anything at all that needs to make sure that we have collaboration as a team or the warehouse needs to know, check for bill ladens for orders going out. <laughs> and then try and plan that day. As you know, what you plan in the morning is not always what happens during the day because you may have all these great ideas. And then as you just saw, I had to leave for a minute to go you know, do something else because things happen. You know, It's a real life place. It breathes, it does, it does everything. And one phone call can change the whole day. But usually we'll start, we'll get all the UPS and all the trucks printed up, get everything ready to go and get all the product, start stacking it. And what I'll do is try and make, you know, some sales calls, some emails, talk to some distributors or customers, handle any customers that call in and have questions while mom or I call them back ourselves because it's the most important. We need to know what's going on. So that's part of the day. We, you know, it depends if the person's on the East or the West coast where y'all are. If I call them in the morning or the afternoon, and then we try and get some new business. You know, we we look at who we're talking to. We maybe plan a newsletter, a Facebook post. You get to do it all when you're a small business like this. You see all parts of it. I don't have like a huge team that does one thing or another team that does something else. And it may be that I'm on the forklift by the end of the day loading a truck because everybody's at lunch or the truck driver comes at 10 minutes after everybody else has left. And I know it's a customer that needs their order. And I'll be out there putting a game board in the back of a tractor trailer and loading them up. Sort of get versatile, don't you? Yeah, you get to do yeah, it all, man. Absolutely. So if you get there at 4 a.m., what time do you leave? Oh, not till like pretty early, 3.30, 4 o'clock. That's almost a 12-hour day. 
It is. So a half day for us is when we only work eight hours. That's what we call a half day here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's and you work on it when you leave. You're thinking about it. I email myself at night. If I think of something, I'll shoot an email off. It's just, it's what we do. Yeah. We, I love it. So it's not like work, but I am really good about separating my time when I leave here. I'm better at it now to make sure I get some, you know, downtime and then come back at it. Yeah, I find the, pre- the pressure is never 100% not with you. But yeah, you can definitely put your task list off your brain and into an electronic device or on paper or something and then sort of move on. Yeah, because you, you know, you'll get an email at night that could change your night drastically. <laughs> you could be like, oh yeah. man, crap. <laughs> so you got to be careful with that because, and it could be like, oh, I need to be working on that. And then you could, you know, you could spend an hour or two sitting there working on it and you're, you're really missing the home life. So you got to be careful. Yeah. Um, Cause it'll be here when you get back. Right. And most of the stuff you do, like really doesn't have to get done. It's, you know, the 80, 20 rule, right? Yeah. I mean, I think what is it an entrepreneur or somebody in what we do is one of the only people that can go from sheer excitement to sheer terror and back to excitement in 24 hours. <laughs> you know, we get to feel it all in a short time period. And that's just while I'm showering. <laughs> I don't even want to know. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to let you go sell some sauce, but thanks for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. And if well, trade shows ever begin again, I will get to see you. I cannot wait, man. I'm ready. I'm very thirsty. And I'm excited about that. I can't so wait for my next bottle. Yes, right. I'm so thirsty. Stay thirsty, my friends. That's the new, the new slogan. Stay thirsty. That's right. Give it up for Dave Hirschkopf, everybody. You've been listening to The H-Spot on the Funnel Radio channel. Never miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe at thehspotpodcast.com.